This is Future Social, a podcast series from the Singapore University of Social Sciences that explores issues which are rapidly and profoundly changing our lives on the social, cultural and economic fronts. And prepare for the future, we must confront and embrace these new waves of change. Previously on Future Social. Tell us more about companies who are making positive contributions to creating sustainable businesses, including the industries who are threatening sustainability themselves. There are new companies coming out that the motivation, the passion behind the business is to be sustainable. I'll give you an example of a company that started not too long ago, mm-hmm. but very much the passion stems from sustainability. I don't know whether you have heard of this brand called Everlane. They are very environmental friendly in terms of sourcing for organic wool, mm. organic cotton, and they go to the farms, they make sure that they use yes. organic fertilizers and stuff like that. And I think two, three years ago, they have introduced uh, denim. You know that denim is a material that causes a yes. lot of harm to the environment mm. because there's a lot of chemicals in it. Yeah. But they managed to find a producer who's also very passionate about environment. Mm. And he has this technology to create denim yeah. and recycle 98% of the water that's being used. Yeah. So they have like, you know, look into the, the, the whole business model starts from the idea of sustainability. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they know it's expensive. Yeah. They show you transparently that this is the cost, uh, what you are paying for because you are paying mm-hmm. this price, uh, higher amount price because you are buying something where we pay our yeah. our staff reasonably well, not exorbitant, not mm. obscenely well, but well enough. We have to source for ethical farm farmers, producers. We have to put in technology to make sure that the way we produce yeah. our garments and our materials are safe. Mm. So therefore, because of this, you're paying for this price. Yeah. And apparently there are people and, and there's a growing statistic showing that there are people who are embracing this idea of sustainability would pay for it because yeah. they know that they contribute back to the overall good of the world. Another example, which is a local example, which is a client of mine, I always like to mention about them, is uh, Scantic, for mm. instance. They are, mm. They're not in, in fashion, but in furniture, furniture. fashion, right? Yeah. And well... The first thing is teak wood yeah, is a very hard and, 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 and sustainable kind of material. Mm. You don't change a teak furniture every year. It can be a legacy piece for generations. Yeah, yeah. right? So that's one thing about it. But they realize that being in the furniture business and using wood, mm. um, there is, of course, the thought of destroying the... Mm. Um, the ecosystem, ecosystem yeah. the jungle. And in the long run, if they carry on doing that, um, uh, mm. there will be uh, lesser trees and more global warming. Yeah. So they uh, themselves have uh, committed that for every tree that they cut down to produce the furniture, they will uh, take the initiative to plant back one hmm. tree. So that makes the business sustainable. It means two purposes. One is the target audience. Yeah. That the people feel that, hey, you know, I am uh, when I buy this furniture, I'm not killing a tree, yes. but I am helping another tree to grow. Right? That's one thing. 
But two, from a business perspective, imagine if I keep on cutting trees for my furniture. One day there will be a scarcity mm. of trees and mm. that will also cause a problem to my business in the long run yeah. and also cause the price to go yeah. up. But if I keep on renewing it, then I have a sustainable source and the prices will not go up because it keeps on renewing itself. Mm. Right? So that makes good sense as well. So this is two examples of how a fashion lifestyle brands have been doing it. Now, that's how they put practice into it, right? But uh, recently, I think interestingly is where we have businesses that look at a change of business models. Mm. Just like in the fashion uh, industry, for instance. Well, if you look at the fashion industry, uh, many of us like to change our apparels very often, particularly in the fast fashion, so that we look updated, we look more novel in front of our friends. But how many times do we actually wear the same apparel again uh, well, not much. Yeah. For me personally, uh, I like to wear certain apparels after some period of time so that people don't uh, recognize me for uh, the same material, the same uh, shirt that I wear. And for some people, they will uh, do it even more drastic that they only wear it once. Mm. So that leads to um, the new business model for uh, mm. the sharing economy. Why don't people rent uh, uh, their apparels? And there's this concept, I don't know whether you heard of this company called Rent the Runaway mm -hmm. in, in US. Well, uh, the idea started that why don't we let people rent, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and everyone can wear it again and again. So you don't have to really throw away until mm -hmm. very much down the road. So that concept of renting and yet sustaining our hunger for new fashion, yeah. uh, it balances out. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's, I, I think, another perspective uh, of, of looking at it, not just changing practices, uh, uh, having uh, ethical sourcing and stuff like that, but also from the perspective of how we think of uh, remodeling, mm. reinventing the business that still meets the needs of the customers mm. and at the same time trying to be sustainable. Yeah. This point that you made about reinventing the business, in my view, is a very important one because in the process of reinventing, I suggest that the companies themselves are nudging their customers and potential customers in changing their behavior towards consumption. Right. In some ways, for fast fashion, there's an elephant in the room. These companies are producing products at certain price points. They want it cheap. Therefore, companies try very hard to produce products for a fraction of the cost. So what do you think the companies with CSRs, corporate social responsibilities, can do? Well, I think from a CSR perspective, Firstly, they got to identify what harm are they yeah. inflicting to the concept of sustainability. Or they can look at it from the other perspective. What good can I draw from my business, mm. right? So if it is harm that I could be contributing, then how do I compensate for that? Let's say for fashion brands, yeah. to compensate for that, R&D, look at sustainable denim, mm. work with plantations that produce organic cotton or sustainable cotton, or even reinvent the way they source. For instance, Life Boy, for instance, mm. comes from Indian liver. Well, they are just hand soap, right? They look at it from why is it important? Mm. And they had done this study that over the world, a lot of people die from pneumonia and diarrhea because of poor sanitation. Mm. 
They claim that every 23 seconds, there's a person who dies from this. By sitting here for one hour, we will have 60 yep. people dying. I mean, double, 120. So they claim that by the simple fact of washing your hands, you can reduce the, the chances of dying from pneumonia, mm. uh, not 23%, if I'm not wrong, and 45% for diarrhea. And that's, that's big. So they came up with this whole CSR or initiative to encourage people that washing hand is good, yeah. using their product yeah. to wash your hand is even better. They started the initiative of a World Hand Washing Day, if I'm mm. not wrong, that got online influencers yeah. to run a campaign to create awareness, mm. particularly in developing countries, not just social sustainability, creating, letting people have a better life, but also other people would come in like you and I, yep. to feel that we are also contributing, we are also a participant of this sustainability mm. effort that they are championing. Yeah. So I have a question about scalability or the lack of it in relation to companies who try to become sustainable. And I have in mind some of our small to medium enterprises, the SMEs in Singapore. How difficult is it? What are the challenges that they will face if they try to create a sustainable business? Right. I know SMEs are always the ones mm. uh, that need the, the kickstart, yes. right? And managing funding is always mm. the, the biggest challenge. And, uh, and given the current environment, yeah. you don't know what will hit you uh, any time. And so doing it alone for, I think, SMEs would be tough, yes. right? But they could consider uh, creating a so-called consortium, mm. right? Uh, to work with uh, like-minded yeah. people within that sector to champion a cause. Yes. I think uh, we have an NGO, if I'm not wrong, in Singapore that's uh, created the World Toilet Day. Yes, yes. Right? And it is totally a, a non-commercial initiative. Mm. But he also realizes that poor sanitation has a big negative impact on the standard of living of people and also uh, health of our society. But then he could also uh, rally people yeah. in the, the sanitization kind of industry, mm. cleaning industry, to work together for this cause. Right, and therefore that would help to uh, draw bigger funding. They could also, with that greater visibility, uh, approach mm. the government yes. uh, to support this greater initiative. And if you look at the bigger picture, uh, uh, like World Toilet Day sanitation, yes. I'm sure governments would want to support it because it helps to uplift yep. uh, the uh, the health standards uh, yep. of the nation. Yeah. And having uh, a commercial or should I say a, a non-government uh, entity mm. championing that uh, would come across as a, a, a more neutral uh, yep. uh, a push rather than people saying, that, oh, it's the government trying to mm. force me to do something. And I think having this kind of idea of consortium mm. uh, helps to draw a big amount of funds, drawing support from the government again, so this, uh, this is one way which I think that uh, smaller companies could start thinking mm. about uh, how they could create such an initiative mm. uh, to, to champion a sustainability practice that they themselves may not have the uh, funding to do it alone. I like your proposal about a consortium, which is a ground level um, initiative that grows upwards. 
And in fact, the example that you raised about the World Toilet Day uh, received very strong support from the state, and the state used its position uh, in the United Nations to push for a world realization about the importance of sanitation and high-quality toilets, which improves the dignity of people. So this drives me to the next point, which is we have talked about how companies can shape themselves to become more sustainable. We talked about consumers who buy into these products, but there's another very important uh, stakeholder, which is the government. What, in your view, uh, can governments do more to drive sustainable businesses? Well, government can look at it from two perspectives. Uh, one is well, the carrot and the stick. Mm. Uh, basically, the stick would be come up with legislation, yes. right? Uh, uh, to inverted commas, uh, since we are not on video, I show the inverted commas <laughs> sign uh, that to punish right yeah. companies that are not friendly to sustainable mm. practices. So, like the carbon tax, for yes. instance, right? Uh, making people who contribute to who puts a stronger carbon footprint, they have to pay for it, yeah. right? Um, fair trade kind of legislation, uh, I don't think it's in Singapore, but I'm not too sure. But I think in the United States, it's a big thing, yeah. right? That, you know, you've got to pay a certain amount of money for products that you buy. You cannot yeah. be lower than a certain yeah. price. Otherwise, it's seen as exploitation. Yeah. So <clears throat> this, what I call legislations they can mm. put in, as well as listed companies have to have a sustainability report, yes. for instance. But I think from a longer-term perspective, I think uh, incentivize kind of uh, model also would help complement this. For instance, you know the government has always been giving grants to SMEs mm. companies mm. to grow, innovate, yes. right? And why not have an angle of sustainability to help them think about infusing this practice into their business. Yep. So, of course, it's expensive. There was a, a World Economic Forum report that generally across the world, if you want to, uh, for a company who have not practiced sustainability, you want to put practices in place, it will cost $400,000. Mm. But the same report says that the benefit, the revenues they're going to get from mm. practicing sustainability is going to be multiple folds of that. Right. So if that's the case, having incentivized these companies and help it, that is not just putting in money, but mm. at the same time is helping them grow further. Yeah. And if you're looking at Singapore itself, right, our Singapore brand itself is very much about companies that are responsible, mm. uh, that do not cut corners. Yes. Right. And having that uh, social responsibility perspective as part of our Singapore company brand yeah. would really help because they will meet certain uh, sustainability uh, requirements when they sell overseas yep. and that will definitely make our products or services from Singapore more competitive yes. out there. And given the fact that uh, more countries and after this COVID-19 uh, storm, I think more uh, nations would probably think of ways to impose stronger sustainability measures to make sure that going forward, we don't end up stabbing the world again. Yeah. And if our companies start doing this first, have a head start, mm. I think that would position Singapore companies uh, much better, mm. uh, a faster runway to position themselves uh, strongly in the different industries 
or markets yep. uh, in the world. Yeah, uh, this is a very important point because um, in terms of what governments have, can do, legislative interventions have been used for a long time. So if you look uh, beyond Singapore in terms of sustainable fishing, which is very important for many countries in Europe and in our region, governments have used a wide range of legislations to impose quotas on how much you can fish, but also the design of the nets and the trawlers. Kongshin, I want to move our focus back again to the end users right. of consumption, the consumers themselves. Why should an ordinary consumer care about sustainability? Right. There's research done, uh, consumer research done, uh, stating that 80 over percent of consumers mm. would like to make a difference mm. to sustainability. And that's just about like one, two years ago. Yes. Uh, it's pre-COVID. And I, I'm sure uh, uh, from now on with the COVID experience, I think this number will grow. Mm. And a lot of people feel that that they want to do that through their style of consumption yes. because that's part of their lifestyle. And, and high percentage, close to the, what I have just uh, quoted just now, want to use brands that are sustainable. Yes. And I think potentially psychologically, they are using brands as vehicles mm. for them to express their support for sustainability. Yes. Now, so given this point, I think that our brands are in a good position to mm -hmm. sell the idea of sustainability and to charge more to show people that we are paying for all this, for instance, like the example of Evelyn, mm. uh, because of the R&D they put in, the, the cost that they pay for ethical purchase and uh, everything that they put in. And all these are costs. And our millennials and research mm. shows that they are one of the most pro-sustainability yep. uh, uh, consumers. Yes. And, and moving forward, they will be bigger in the market. Yeah. My daughter and my son, they have been so-called indoctrinated, shall I use that word, uh, in schools that, mm. you know, uh, they have to save the world, uh, sustainability is the future, and every time I buy food back and forget to bring my uh, mm. reusable container, they will chide me, saying yeah. that I'm destroying part of yes. their future. Well, I think they're doing a good job. Yeah. So um, going forward, I think the Gen Z themselves mm. would also be even stronger advocates. Mm. And they are willing to pay more. Mm. Uh, for my children, they are willing to pay more because I'm the one paying them. That's right. right? But of course, down the road, <laughs> where they're earning their own money, mm. whether they you think twice, I don't know. Yeah. But... Uh, looking at what millennials today are practicing, apparently they are willing to pay that price. Yeah. Now, of course, I think uh, not everyone is equal in terms of the social economy status. Yes. Uh, there's a spectrum, right? And of course, I think the lower end or, or the bottom end of mm. the social economic spectrum will not be able to, to pay for uh, sustainable products. Yes. And there are, there are two ways of looking at it, I think. Uh, not being able to pay for it is one thing. Uh, practicing sustainability could not necessarily be expensive thing. Mm. So, for instance, 
if I am uh, outlet selling uh, bath beauty products, yeah. and I say that you you bring your own container and you know there are the, mm. those who do it, uh, you pay lesser. Mm. I'm sure someone with a lower spectrum will buy it from them because sure. they're actually saving. Sure. So if we sell sustainability from a perspective of cost saving, mm. people or from this end of the spectrum will embrace it stronger. Mm. So it's how do we position the marketing of sustainability? Is it you can position it as you are saving the mm. world, helping society to be more sustainable because you're paying them better. We are helping to boost the economy. But from the other end is you're also saving money by, by being sustainable. If you bring your own container for your food, for instance, yeah. F&B, we don't charge you for the container. So you are also being sustainable and for you, you're saving, mm. right? So if you look at these two perspectives, it does help. Kongshin, thank you very much for this. I think um, from what I'm hearing, you are suggesting that education has a very empowering role in some ways in nudging uh, an average person towards a greater sense of social sustainability. I can imagine one example, if we think about certain social demographics uh, at the Hawker Centre, when you suggested let's bring a container and let's not just buy a container that the Hawker can off offer. But I'm going to suggest that some people who are working and trying very hard to eke out a living, getting a container at the end of the day is the last thing on his or her mind because this person just wants food and will buy it. What I'm suggesting here is that social sustainability is something that I think not just the companies, but it starts very early in school where you think not just about a container, but even the source of the rice that you're buying right. and where your meat is sourced from. And, and the source of the container. Absolutely. Right. So everything about this is very intuitive and has to be built in from a very young age. We have a lot of work to do uh, for the whole society if sustainability from social sustainability uh, is to have any traction in Singapore. Right, right. Kongchin, thank you very much for joining our podcast today. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. There are two key learnings in our session today. The first one, as I understand you, is the impact of sustainability is real. It's real because companies in creating a sustainable business benefit society, but they also benefit themselves. The reason for that is because the market and the investors, they do desire and demand sustainable business practices. The second key learning is the practicalities of becoming a sustainable business. How do you then practice sustainability? You suggested one, companies can identify the harm that they inflict. And um, the other suggestion that you have given is what can companies do to benefit or to protect the social sustainability? And I recall this example that you gave about the hand soap and life boy, a very wide campaign about sanitation. So Kongqing, thank you very much for your time. That was Dr. Lau Kongqing, a senior lecturer in marketing at the School of Business, SUSS. This episode is brought to you by SUSS Podcast. I'm Daniel Sia, and thank you very much for listening to Future Social. To learn more about today's episode, you may find complimentary content at suss.edu.sg blog. 
To find more podcast episodes, visit suss.edu.sg slash podcast. Coming up next on Future Social. During the pandemic, a lot more people are using online learning out of necessity. In the last three months, what universities have been doing is not online learning, but emergency remote learning, which is completely different from online learning. Remote learning is a curriculum that you convert based on an emergency online. Online learning has its own pedagogies. For online learning, the way you assess them is very different. How much content do I curate offline for them to access themselves? Full online learning is a whole ecosystem on its own. 